Welcome back to Living Our Breast Lives, a podcast not only about two women thriving with metastatic breast cancer, but also self-love, appreciation, and overall awakening to this beautiful gift we call life. Each episode's theme will be unique and highlight important topics for the MBC community. Please don't forget to not only tune in, but to also subscribe and review. Welcome back, and thank you for tuning into our podcast, Living Our Breast Lives. My name is Ren, and with me is Kate. Hey, everybody. Good to be here again. Feels like, I always say this, but it feels like it's been forever, but it has not. You know what? I think we actually did go longer this time around. I think it's been like five weeks, which is a little, you know, longer for us than usual. So I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, nice break. A little summer vacay. Mm-hmm. So with that, what's speaking of summer vacations, I guess, what's new with you? What's been happening in the past month? Um. So my dual trip to Vegas and LA was incredible. I would say my favorite parts were having like a bonfire in Malibu and then seeing, you know, the wild and free sea lions in La Jolla. I'm just like a big animal creature guy. So that was such a highlight. And then um, I also just got back from Manhattan and I spent like a good old weekend with my nephew. And so that was amazing. What about you? What's new? I, first of all, loved following Living Vicariously through your um, <laughs> Instagram post. It looked like you had so much fun. I I love, love, love La Jolla and California. There's just something so perfect about that place. So I loved it. It was um, magical. So much fun. Um. Oh my gosh, what's new with me? I had scans, uh, NED. So that's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Some good conversations with, you know, about the future. And it's always, you know, you know, I've talked about always scary. Um, It's cool to be able to talk in terms of years and not scan to scan. And obviously things can change very quickly. And it's not that I'm naive to that, but there's something normal about that, that um, is, is comforting it's obviously all the emotions at once scary exciting but there is a comfort in like oh that's cool that I can kind of plan that um in longer increments and I know we've talked about that was a big deal this year for me that we went from scans every three months to scans every four months which mm-hmm. is only a month but it's one less scan a year and that was a little bit scary and so um knowing that I've done that now twice and things are okay. That fear is, is a little bit tam- uh, lessened, I guess. So I am so that, happy for you. So cool. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I really am. Because like, you know, when you're first diagnosed, you never really think that you're going to get to that point where you're sitting down with your oncologist and, you know, you're extending scans or you're talking about future things, you know, like it's a lot of the times you're kind of just taking it day by day. And when you can actually see future conversations happening it's like holy shit like I'm I'm here I made it here I got here I did this so it's it that's just huge Kate I'm so happy for you thanks and you hit it spot on like my oncologist never gave me an expiration date he always was like we're going to treat you with curative intent and um you know I think you could have a long-term longer term survival and so that was always hopeful but when I got my second opinion from a very um, well-respected doctor at a huge cancer center, she told me two to three years. And so you have to still keep that in the back of your mind that um, I didn't know that I would even be here, much less be here and be living, I would say, as close to a normal life with a, a diagnosis like this. I never thought, I guess I shouldn't say I never thought I'd be here it was equally concerning to me that I wouldn't, it was very real that I yeah. wouldn't be. Here, um, it's always been in the in. back of our minds. Yeah. It's always it there. Never goes away. Always yeah. And you know, it's to have still, and we'll, I mean, obviously without getting into the episode, um, the longer you get out, there's, there's changes that happen. So um, it's a lot to navigate, but I'm, I'm sitting with the win, the celebration, um, with that scan and I won't have scans again till after my birthday in September. So all's good. It'll be good. That is amazing. And yeah. I'm praying that I have the same 
you know, outcome, any D news that you have, I've got my scan. I want to say next month. And, you know, it, it really, it makes a huge difference going from three months to four. It feels like a vacation, you know, just know, having that does. extra month. Yeah. Cause it, it really is. It's like a, a stamp on a passport that you get an extra month to live essentially and be completely live the way you've been living with nothing changing. And then that scan, obviously everything can change in a moment. And yeah. so that extra month of peace, I your talk- bliss. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I will too. say this, like before we get into the episode, I, the past couple of months, I kind of suggested that I've been like having a hard time just like with my mental health and just certain things are resurfacing and um, really needed almost like a pick me up. And somebody that I knew sent a link and it's basically a free resource. um, And it's a nonprofit called Unite for Her. What they do is they support all acts of survivorship, which is what I love. So it's like including NBC Thrivers. And so what I did is like, I took 10 minutes to sign up for their, what was it called? Like a wellness survivorship program. And this nonprofit sent me like the cutest, most thoughtful care package. And along with that, it had like a ton of free um, accessible, like online virtual resources. So let me start with the care package. So they sent me a cure product. So like body wash and face moisturizer. And then I got like a cookbook, a tumbler, and like a ton of dietary and nutritional information and just my gosh, a multitude of other stuff, like in this big old box, it just came with all this stuff. And then along with that, they have, like I mentioned, these free live virtual events, like monthly cooking sessions, guided meditation, expert medical and wellness presentations, and even virtual hangouts. I was like, oh my gosh, like, how is this the first time I'm hearing about this nonprofit. So for anybody, you know, that needs a pick me up and this sounds appealing to you again, it's called unite for her. And you can just go right on Google, type it in and it'll bring you right to the survivorship program. That's amazing. We'll link it for sure. When we release the episode, that's like for sure, you know, food, obviously you can decide how you want to take certain things being cures or not cures, but the bottom line is a healthy body is a healthy body and you can tolerate medication side effects. You can tolerate things better if your body is well-fed and healthy. And we know that eating healthy is a way to do that, to build your immune system. Eating healthy impacts your cognitive abilities, all those things. So to be able to send you a cookbook and resources on how to do that, I know for me in the NBC space, especially Sometimes it feels like there's not a lot you have control over with your treatment, but mm-hmm. that's an easy thing to have control over that when you feel shitty um, and you're feeling down to address like, okay, well, let's start small. Like, am I feeding this body well? Am I feeding this body in a way that is going to make my, you know, depression or anxiety worse? Um, and what can I do? Like, that's such a thing that we can control. Exactly. Um, and to be able to send people resources. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like so excited to join like the monthly cooking sessions, you know, it just kind of brought a smile to my face and it had me like looking forward to something. And I love my new tumbler and like the face moisturizer is amazing. And they, they give you like a 20% off for the rest of your life for these Acure products. Like they're just amazing. So shout out to them. And like uh, Kate said, we will link it for anybody who uh, wants to check it out. So getting into today's episode, recently, um, Kate and I stumbled upon a meme that really hit home for us. And it said, remember when everyone rallied around you while you were in treatment, because that was supposed to be the hardest part of cancer. Then everyone walked away while you were still recovering. And that became the hardest part of cancer. Oh, boy. So there is a lot to unpack there. So for me, like the thing about metastatic disease is that we're never officially done with treatment and or rid of the cancer. And I think that's a common misconception that people have. They think just because like they see us looking good with all of our hair that we beat it, we moved on with life. We're on to like bigger and better things. But I mean, it's just not the case. Like with improvements in science and treatment options, 
we are absolutely living longer and even tend to look less sick after like the initial chemo phase, but it really doesn't mean that this diagnosis is any less of a burden. Like I celebrate my four year NBC anniversary in September, which is huge, like huge blessing considering the statistics for like triple negative, but I still have infusion treatments every two weeks, same day, same time, twice a month for the rest of my life. And I'm still reminded every time I walk through those doors that I am a cancer patient, regardless of how good I might look on the outside, you know, or to the rest of the world. And I will say this, and then I definitely want to hear like your take on the meme, Kate, but recovery is different in terms of a lifelong diagnosis. And this is my opinion, but I just feel that way because you're still in it. You're still in the thick of it, but the people around you, they almost let go of the reins, just assuming that you don't need support any longer. But it that can really, I mean, that feels the most isolating at times. And I mentioned in the last episode, like, I don't know, I do feel like my mental health is struggling more now. And we're talking five years later. And that's with way less support. And I hate to say that, but I'm being just completely vulnerable and honest right now. That is with way less support from friends and family versus when I was in that initial chemo phase and I had everybody's support, the rallying behind me, the GoFundMe, the everything that the meme mentions. And so it's hard because being in one place and now being in another and seeing that support just dwindle right before your eyes, it's kind of like earth shattering, honestly. It feels very lonely and isolating and it's hard. What do you think, Kate? I felt like when I read this meme, I think you and I sent it to each other and like at the same time. And it was one that it, if I would have thought about it too long, I probably would have started crying because it's so true that initial uh support system was so powerful and present and uplifting and then it sort of wanes and I think it kind of lends itself to the idea that cancer is a temporary stop on a path and for us it's not it's something that it's a path that we have to change and walk on forever and the support is needed for me I needed more support after than I did during um and that's sometimes hard and I think it's just not always it's not always understood by the people close to you I'm grateful that I have um my cousins and my really really good friends um who've never skipped a beat with that um but I think as a whole in the community a lot of us probably read this and thought damn uh that is so accurate. I couldn't agree more. We are wholeheartedly on the same page with that. And I think that's probably why we both sent it to each other on Instagram. <laughs> like I, I imagine most people don't know that you and I are still going to the infusion center every few weeks and what even like our monthly scans feel like or what it's like to continuously have to go to your oncologist's office or even still dealing with side effects from treatment after all these years, like there's still, and, and then we haven't even really touched upon the mental health struggles, the trauma, the PTSD that follows sometimes years later. And I know that's what we're going to get into today, but I just feel as though that meme, when I saw it, it like almost struck a nerve with me because I'm feeling those things so deeply. So Today's episode is going to involve Kate and I talking about common misconceptions so that we can provide our truth to dispel and educate and explain why we still need the support. And so um, I'll start. We've already kind of touched upon this of us looking normal. So the thing about NBC is that it's sometimes an invisible diagnosis, like there are unseen side effects. There are thrivers who have hair during lifelong treatment like Kate and I, and then there are some that don't. And it truly depends on, I would say, like the type of chemotherapy that they're receiving. 
the majority of thrivers that I've met along the years will have hair post the initial chemo phase. And that's including myself. And um, Kate, would you agree that the majority of people with NBC that you've you know been in contact with the past couple of years in the community for the most part have hair? Or is it uh, kind of like a mixed balance? I think it, it like ebbs and flows. I think it's just one of those things that you can never use that as a marker because it depends on where they are in their treatment phase. Um, and so I think it's one of those things that there's always going to be that shuffle of drugs with new drugs that cause loss or don't cause loss. And yeah. so you just never know where someone's at. There are plenty of, of MBC patients who their doctors view treatment as starting with the drugs that have the least impact um, because it's about quality over quantity at that point. And so those patients will look quote unquote normal up until they start chemo. But for some of us who are younger, being treated with newer ideas about treating aggressively up front, um, we will lose our hair, then get our hair back, but we could very well lose it later on down the road again. So it's just not a good marker to, to your point to ever judge someone on. Right. And regardless, again, if we are a thriver with hair or we're a thriver without hair, we're still having the same day-to-day struggles with the same, you know, stage four diagnosis. It's just some may look like what people would say a cancer patient looks like. Um, and I think that's the hard part of the, well, you look normal. I thought you beat it. I thought you were done with treatment. You know, there's just a lot of assumptions just because on the outside to the rest of the world, we do look, I guess, essentially like everybody else. I agree. And I think too, there's, that is something that people with chronic illness beyond cancer can relate to is there's this societal idea of in order to be sick, you have to look the way that society has taught us cancer patients look, or that someone with a chronic illness looks. Um, And that's just not the case. And to to piggyback on your idea of there's these unseen side effects, there's the drugs that are keeping a lot of us alive have extremely severe side effects Mm -hmm. um, that we manage and, you know, not to pat high five ourselves, pat ourselves on the back. um, We manage well and probably look like everything is fine in the 10 seconds you see on social media or um, because we've been conditioned to say, I'm fine. When somebody says, are you okay? Because we don't want to burden anybody around us or like hurt or upset anybody around us. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I think I say I'm fine because what's the alternative? I can't stop. So I guess for me and healthy or not, I just don't. I never really like, oh, well, my joints hurt and this is happening and this is happening. And because what there's no point to me yeah. in dwelling on it because I can't change it. I just, I have to be fine with it, but it doesn't make it easier. And I, you know, we all deal with this post chemo, post treatment. And I, I've heard from, from early stage survivors, their bodies are different after treatment, even if they're in remission, even if, you know, they have the cure label, they still have a body that went through all of that. And Mm. I can speak only for myself that um, my body is different. It gets, I get overstimulated quicker. I get tired more easily. I get um, frustrated more easily. Um, there's just differences. And I think I don't know where this theory came from, but it's like one of my favorites and it's the spoon theory. And that is that everyone starts their day off with, I don't know, let's say 10 spoons and everything you do has a cost. And so getting up, doing your morning routine, getting out the door to work might cost some, a healthy person, one spoon. But someone with a chronic illness, it might cost two spoons. Working eight hours in a job might cost two spoons for a healthy person, but it might cost four for someone who's chronically ill. Mm. And so the whole idea is that um, the activities that are your day-to-day normal activities are 
more costly for someone who's dealing with a chronic illness or a body that is not, you know, quote unquote healthy. And so we end up running out of spoons a lot quicker, just having a normal day. So throwing in then, you know, a scan day or a treatment day, or even something exciting like a concert or a dinner with friends or a holiday your spoons, you could be dipping into next week's spoons, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. exhausting. And so I think that theory really helps people who don't understand to better understand why sometimes we have to back out of things. Sometimes we think we can do something, but our spoons are gone by the time it gets to there or, um, you know, somebody might be like, well, why do you have to take a nap? Why, do, why can't you just do this? Or, and it's, it's spoons. I ran yeah. out of spoons. I like that. Um, I really do. Cause again, looking at us, up. it's like, we can keep up. Yeah. That theory really helps. And I think it also doesn't make, it doesn't put, I, I don't like when the spin is that there's something wrong, that it's like negative. They're like, oh, well, you're sick. You're this, because I am really proud of my body for what it's done and what it continues to do because I'm continuing to do this. It's my levels are good. My body is responding. Like I don't ever want to phrase something as like, I'm upset with my body because I'm not. Um, I, and so I think spoon theory just helps to, I don't know, for me, phrase it in a way that there's nothing wrong with her she's just it just costs a little bit more to do things and that's Mm -hmm. okay because my body's been through hell um chemo is horrendous and my treatments are not exactly a walk in the park either now but it's I don't know it's just one of those theories that helps and I found that like using it to explain things to people who don't have chronic illness extremely helpful um you can like see the light bulb go off like that Okay. So another common misconception that Kate and I kind of came up with together was the pressure to be okay and grateful because you're alive. Aye, aye, aye. So there's a bit of like toxic positivity in this one because both feelings can exist. We can be grateful that we're still alive and still have very valid emotions like fear, anger, confusion, um, I mean, there's a million other emotions that come with a metastatic disease, but my therapist and I, like, we talk about this often, like we are human. We've experienced some heavy ass shit that our friends and family can't relate to. We obviously didn't envision this life for ourselves and we're allowed to grieve and respond to it. However, the fuck we please without hearing the dismissive, well, at least you're still here for me. Like Kate, you can totally disagree, but like that's, that's for me exactly what it is. It's dismissive. It's not listening to us and how we feel. It's telling us that we don't necessarily deserve to feel those things because we survived a cancer diagnosis that we didn't ask for in the first place. And this honestly goes for everyone that has a friend or a loved one going through something traumatic validate their experience, allow them the ability to express how they're feeling because they need that outlet. We all need that outlet. And I will also say this, God protects me in a way that is bigger than me in a way that I never thought or knew possible day in and day out being, um, like spiritually connected. It's, it's helped me in more ways than one, like tremendously. And this diagnosis has obviously like taught me things about life and about myself and, you know, that I necessarily wouldn't have had the ability to see otherwise. And I will always be grateful for that. But the day that I want to kick and scream and I want to have a tantrum because I'm mad that this is now a part of my life, like I can and I will. Because both feelings and both emotions and both things, they have to and they can exist. And the people around us have to understand that. I couldn't agree more. I, First of all, being labeled as having a terminal diagnosis is a hard pill to swallow mm-hmm. uh, because it, it does feel 
really heavy all the time. Um, and there's also the question of people start to question that when you are doing well, that are you using it inappropriately or are you just trying to get attention? I have a another MBC friend who um, does a lot of social media work and had been posting about it and always refers to it as a terminal diagnosis. And um, there are a lot of people in the comments that are questioning if you are NED, then why are you saying you're terminal? Like that, you're just being dramatic and things like that from Ooh. people who have no idea what they're talking about. Um, mm. To Annie's point in the last episode, the internet trolls, like they be trolling all the time yeah. and they will always come out from under their bridge to be an ass. But there is still that part of you that's like, well, I guess maybe I don't deserve to use this. But at the end of the day, I do, because that is what my diagnosis is in my chart. This is not textbook curable. No. Um, there are people who live a long time. There are people who the C word is thrown around a lot. Things could change. There are people who it seems like it could be more chronic than anything. But the bottom line is, I will probably die of this. And Therefore, that is my reality, and it's very heavy to carry around. And there's almost, I don't know if you feel this too, Ren, like there's that switch when you get to NED or when you get some sort of stability that the fear almost switches to like, like you almost gaslight yourself into like judging yourself for using the terms or for sharing that you're scared about this or that it's still just as real the fear of dying or progression or whatever is still just as real but like the outside pressure tells you like you shouldn't feel that because you're fine you're doing fine and to your therapist point and your point multiple things can be true at once mm -hmm. I can be doing well and be so 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 grateful to be doing well while simultaneously dealing with heavier feelings of guilt of why am I, I was doing just gonna say that people are not mm -hmm. and I should shut up about how hard this is still because I'm alive yep. and that is such a hard thing to overcome mm -hmm. on your own without the pressures of seeing comments because if they comment that to my friend they're going to comment it to you and I they're if they you know like that's where it's it's you got to be able to tune it out and know your truth and that's hard no, I agree. And it does tie very heavily into the survivor's guilt, which we talk about all the time because it is so heavy. It's the heaviest feeling that I've experienced in my life. And that's sad because I'm only 34 and we shouldn't be experiencing survivor's guilt at this age. But I just recently had a similar experience where I was speaking to another thriver and, um, I have been NED um, for like three and a half years now, and I'm doing really well with minimal side effects. And when I did try to speak to this person about some of the mental health issues that I was struggling with and the survivor's guilt, because we've had some losses in the community recently, I did feel dismissed when I was told, but you are NED. And I said, with all due respect, I acknowledge that I'm doing well and that I am NED and my cancer is hibernating and is stupid right now, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to feel all the feels and I'm not going to be potentially dealing with reoccurring trauma that's resurfacing or, you know, looking at my chest and all that has happened with my chest and, and not grieve what that used to be. And there's, there's a lot of things that are not right in my head, in my world, in my life, even though I am NED and even though I look normal to everybody else. And, and that is what I'm currently struggling with. And I think that is why this episode is so important to me because I'm almost feeling like I'm living two different worlds. I'm living a normal, fairly normal life being NED and being so unbelievably grateful. But then I have these demons that I can't seem to shake and I'm going through therapy and I'm having the hard conversations. But what people need to understand is that both spaces can exist and they will exist for somebody with a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. 
Yes, I applaud that you are doing the work because it's hard. It's a hard thing. And there are periods of feeling really good and feeling like I'm mentally in a good place. I can, I can do this. But then to your point, there's been a lot of loss um, in general and negative, negative news, bad news in the community. But in our very tiny community, there's been a lot of loss and it's hit both you and I very, very hard. And those are the periods where it feels like, did I do any work at all? Yes. If I'm crying in bed, um, yes. that's hard and it won't ever get easier. And I think that's one of the things that um, I work with in, with my therapist is that as I see it and as I've experienced it, granted for a very short amount of time, all things considered, like three and a half years, I don't believe it will ever get better in the sense, it won't ever get easier. I should say it won't ever get easier because you and I have talked about that the minute that it's easier to handle losses of friends or bad news of friends is the minute that I feel like you might be jaded and maybe you need to take a step back because I don't think it should ever be easier to lose friends, especially when it's something that we live with. That is it's hard enough to have a friend get bad news or or pass away. But when you know that you're in the same boat as mm-hmm. them, as far as diagnosis, um, it kind of, and I, I wish there was a less aggressive way to say this, but it feels like you're walking around holding like a bomb yep. and you just don't know if it will go off, if the drugs diffused it and you just have to carry the weight of it around. Yep. You don't know if it, delayed it like there's just that's what it feels like to me is you just constantly have this bomb in your hand that could go off at any moment it could not go off ever again and you just have these the heaviness but regardless there's that big unknown that you're just carrying around with you yeah that makes it really hard it's it's wild right that even like four years out next month or two months like you saying that it sits heavy with me, right? Like I'm feeling triggered right now and I'm okay with expressing vulnerability. Um, It's hard to talk about this one because it is a ticking time bomb. It's let's go with the synonyms. Yeah. It's a roll of the dice. It's a shot in the dark. It's a fucking gamble. Like nobody can imagine a life like that. No, not when the gamble is literally your life. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes I'm just like, when somebody will say like, oh, just be grateful. Like you're alive. I'm like, imagine living a life of worry like that. It's not just during scan time. It's not just scanxiety. It's, it's just bigger than us. It's like bigger than anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. And yes, it's everything. I, mm-hmm. I feel like I, and I'll just say it now. So anybody listening that maybe doesn't have a terminal diagnosis or doesn't know what it's like to have a cancer diagnosis it's not just that it's not just scans it's not just treatment it's I remember having a full-blown panic attack in 2021 when I bought my new car because I signed a loan that I wasn't sure I would be alive for and at 34 years old that Mm -hmm. is fucking ridiculous to have to think about and that's the piece that it's stuff like that that Mm -hmm. I've gotten to the point where again for better or worse I don't know if it's a healthy coping mechanism when things like that pop up it almost makes me laugh because it's like I cannot believe I have to consider this I cannot believe that I am having to buy travel insurance not because something may go wrong but because something could go wrong that all of a sudden it becomes a real thing that I'm anything beyond a year or so I wonder what its life will be like then and that's the piece that I think is so hard to to grasp if you haven't walked it that it permeates every facet of your life of that wondering what this label what this diagnosis is going to change could change will change and when Um, that's, that's heavy. And it's always there. There, you know, therapy, you and I know Mm -hmm. can help you reduce the space 
it takes up in your mind, but it will never go away. And things like loss, things like progression, things like scans, whether it's happening to us or to someone we love, um, makes that space it takes up more space in those moments, whether it's a week, a day, a month, um, it, it's always there. And so it's, it's a continual journey of, of how to live life, holding hands with a terminal label. Yeah. And I will say this, um, and you and I have had the hard conversations about this Kate, but like I did a lot of avoiding, um, there was a lot of denial those thoughts, like you said, it's not like it's reoccurring, right? Like somebody with an NBC diagnosis could have these, what if, when type of thoughts. I mean, regularly it's daunting. It's looming over you, like the darkest rain cloud you could possibly imagine. And for a long time, I've done such a good job at chewing it away, but lately I'm really struggling with it. And I think it's because of the avoidance and the denial And instead of like talking through and like facing my triggers, those first couple of years, I buried them. I hid behind positivity, you know, which I needed that positivity. I will never regret that. Um, But I just think that I was in denial over a lot of things. And so I'm, again, the space that I'm in right now is complicated. I feel like I'm paying for it all these years later. I'm feeling all the things, the things that I've like permanently lost over the years, they're recirculating. They're coming to the surface. Um, certain things like my, my teaching career, my ability to conceive, like I said earlier, just like looking at my chest in the mirror, the ability to not ever be able to breastfeed. And like, that's not even half of it. Right. It's like all of those years, I was so concerned with surviving. I was like, I've got triple negative right now. Like I'm, this is aggressive. I'm young. It's growing on the outside of my chest. Like for so long, it was just like survive, survive, survive that I pushed all that hard shit to the side. And now that I'm doing better, I'm in my head. It's like, just, it's looming. All of these thoughts are looming. And, um, I was just more concerned with surviving scan to scan because I I just didn't foresee much of a future. I pushed everything. I suppressed everything. And now we're here. And so yeah. I I just pray that this episode, even if it's not another thriver that's listening, you know, maybe it's a family member or a friend of somebody who has a loved one that's been diagnosed with any cancer diagnosis, even for early stage survivors. These thoughts, they loom, they don't go away. The thought of recurrence, it's it's daunting. It's hard. It's a hard space to be in and to live in, especially as young as, as we are. I would agree. And um, I think before that lends itself to transitioning to our next one, but before we do, I just want to acknowledge that like there's no right way. And I think many of us did the survival blinders because you don't know what it's gonna, what you'll get, um, what your roll of the dice is going to get you. And I applaud you. And I'm so proud of you for leaning into the hope of, of survivorship of a longer term survival than certainly you were promised. Obviously you're, you're there, you're doing it, you're doing the damn thing, but it's hard to go backward and do the work. And it's hard to acknowledge that PTSD is very real in our space. Um, and that it can come on years later. Um, and so I, I know from, from our friendship, you're doing, you're doing the hard shit and it's a shit place to be in to get through cancer and to kind of not come out on the other side. Cause we don't come out on the other side, but to be living a, a fairly normal life or at least a stable one, and then have to work through the hard emotional shit and the psychological trauma lame really fucking lame (laughs) so I'm really proud of you for doing it I am you know I have been doing it for a while and it's hard it's really fucking hard but there are moments that you realize you reacted differently and that there you could talk about something without your voice shaking or that somebody have a friend you know getting bad news or passing away you only cry in bed for a day um and then 
you are able to to get yourself back up and it's not all consuming and those are the wins that you will you notice but damn if the work's not hard yeah I appreciate um, you saying I'm very that. proud of you oh thank you um, transitioning into our next <laughs> one kind of goes along with the like be grateful your NED your um whatever and I think Ren and I will both acknowledge because this comes up when I post things like this on TikTok and you know Annie does a couple other people do on social media you'll get the people who it's like they're telling on themselves because they'll immediately go to defend why somebody would say something like well be thankful you're NED or the next one we're going to talk about is well you beat it you beat it you're going to beat it um that's they're not helpful things to say and the people who will go in and immediately defend them as like well they're just trying to help Ren and I know every cancer patient knows that the things that are said that are hurtful are I don't believe anybody who said anything to me that has been dismissive meant it from a place of hurt or meaning to hurt us or meaning to be defensive they are their own human who is likely equally scared of what we're going through because they care about us. They love us. And so they're trying to say something to reduce our fear or reduce their own fear and right. ease their own fears. And so Ren and I are aware. Um, most cancer patients, if not all cancer patients, especially those of us who've been walking this road for a minute, nobody's thinking these people are out here like what can we do today to really shit on a cancer patient like what can we tell this person like they're not they're just not people we know that so when you listen to this episode I that needs to be said we yes. know that people are not saying this to be hurtful but it's not our job to allow our feelings to be hurt if we can just give you some helpful feedback about how you could phrase things differently. And so that's the whole point of this is, is telling you our side so that hopefully we can create a, a better interaction where, you know, the cancer muggles, so to speak, feel more confident about what they're saying to us. Agreed. Um, so with that, let's talk about the like, you beat it or you'll beat it. You got this. Um, I will start that off with, I know that that is meant to be a like, go get them tiger. Like you're the strongest person I know, like you can do it. I think for patients with incurable illnesses, not just cancer, um, it is impossible. That is an impossible statement and an impossible amount of pressure that you place on someone. And so that's for me, that one, I always, like inadvert like inadvertently cringe because it's like I I do not I do not have this <laughs> I'm trying but I do not yeah, there's a it's lot just of too much pressure mm -hmm. way too much pressure mm -hmm. very dismissive of reality agreed how do you feel about that one I mean it makes me cringe it's just I mean you you said it perfectly like it's just an immense amount of pressure because again we've done the research we've done the background we know the statistics. I mean, it almost insinuates like an early stage diagnosis, which can deem frustrating because like, it's not our reality. Like we're never in quote unquote remission. We're never actually going to beat this. And so it shows a, like that there's a lack of education regarding an NBC diagnosis. And it's kind of like a slap in the face that we are not early stage survivors we are late stage thrivers. And so it's extremely different for us, especially when somebody's like, you'll beat it. Like, it's just, no, no, that's not how this works. Um, so there's another set of misconceptions that um, I'm going to bring to the table right now. And it goes under the umbrella of like, everything goes back to normal because the consensus of this episode is that we will never go back to normal. And so we won't ever be the same again. And um, here are some of those reasons. So your career, those that have ongoing infusions have to fit that around work. If they don't have a job that accommodates that, they might have to give up their careers, which is what myself and multiple other thrivers have had to do. 
uh, relationship difficulties, finding a life partner while having an MBC diagnosis. I imagine that that is extremely difficult. Um, piggybacking off of that, just relationship and marriage struggles, like spousal trauma, PTSD. Again, we're not the only ones going through it. You know, our, our partners, they are almost living vicariously through us. They see the hardship, they see the trauma, they, they can't take it away from us. They just see us suffering and struggling. And I imagine that that is unbelievably difficult. Um, another reason why we don't go back to normal is family planning. Um, somebody in our situation who does envision motherhood, finding a surrogate is about anywhere from, you know, a hundred thousand plus course you have possible adoption but that's not your biological child so it's all about your preference your decision um treatment being a job in itself is so harsh at times we've talked earlier about just the side effects and what treatment can do um it's actually comical kate and i and i don't mean to just kind of veer off but i noticed that i can no longer sing for as long as I used to be able to sing like karaoke or even like when Kate and I record, like my vocal cords just feel like they get tired so much faster. And I brought it up to Kate and Kate's like the queen of research. She knows everything in the cancer space. And she's like, you know, you might have like neuropathy on your vocal cords. And I remember just like stopping in my tracks, doing some research and I absolutely have neuropathy on my vocal cords from the early stage treatments that I had. I had andromycin, um, which is nicknamed the red devil. And so along with all of my other issues, you know, that's true. Like I said, treatment is a job in itself. You, there are things that you wouldn't even think. And all these years later, I still continue to struggle with them. Then you have your physical appearance, which again is self-explanatory especially after the multiple surgeries and everything else. Um, planning things around your treatment schedule, traveling, social events. It tends to lack. It tends to be difficult. It's like, oh, you want to go on a vacation? Oh, let me just check my calendar. Let me make sure that it's you know not on a treatment week. Let me make sure that it's the week after, just in case I have side effects that week. It's like this whole thing. Then you have like the zebra horse theory that plays into the psych impact of like dealing with pain and illness that it could always be cancer like I have a headache could this be more than just a headache I'll hand this one over to Kate so she can explain the zebra horse theory a little bit better uh so yes the zebra horse theory again not mine it's just one that is helpful to explain to people that um when you are a healthy person, not a cancer patient or former cancer patient, and you have back pain, you automatically get to think that cancer is the worst case scenario. I probably pulled a muscle. I probably tweaked my back. I'm probably getting old, whatever. I slept wrong. Once you have a cancer diagnosis, regardless of staging, that flips that you always start with it being cancer and work your way backwards to it being something less nefarious. And so it's the idea of when you hear hooves, normal people get to think of horses. When we hear hooves, we have to think of a zebra and go backward and prove that it's a horse. And so that's stressful. That is a stressful piece of being a cancer patient, regardless of stage, is you never again get to assume that it's not cancer. Right. So with that list, I mean, I just named off what seven or eight reasons why everything does not go back to normal and why things won't ever be the same again. Um, it's a lot. It's actually overwhelming to say the least. And somebody might ask like why we keep talking about it. We keep talking about it because it's our life right? It's not for attention. It's also because we know that because someone else has talked about it or is talking about it, that we feel less alone. And I mean, that's the whole reason for this podcast, right? We want other thrivers to feel validated in their thoughts. 
and know that they're not alone. And um, again, I just hope this podcast and just like everything that Kate and I are saying, I hope it really just puts into perspective that we're not fine after a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. There are struggles, trials and tribulations that we go through every single day. Like we say in the conclusion, choose kindness. Someone may look fine on the outside, but you never know who's actually struggling on the inside. So we just, we live by that. And we hope that you take that into consideration. I completely agree. Like we keep talking about it because we're continuing to live it. And this section, I think we've talked about so many times or touched on in past episodes, you and Brittany touched on in past episodes. And so this discussion of, you know, relationship struggles or career struggles, family planning, all those things, there are wonderful episodes um, that Ren and Brittany did about those things. We have some episodes that uh, Ren and I have done where we've talked about those. So when we release this, we'll link those. So you can go back and listen to that. And we're not just having an episode that's repeating the same thing, but we, those things we've talked about, um, they exist. So we'll link those for y'all. So I think um, we've talked about all these misconceptions. We've talked about our take on it as MBC patients, which again, is just our opinion. Other MBC patients may feel differently because, um, you know, we are uh, individual humans, but we've shared our, our stance, but let's talk about like what can help. Cause nobody likes to be criticized without being told what do we actually want? And so Ren and I are going to share what helps us. And hopefully that can help anybody wondering what potential avenues to support those around them going through any difficulty, but especially a, a cancer diagnosis. So I will start and say the two that are so important to me are checking in. Um, I don't need a lot. I don't ask for a lot. Like I don't need meals. I don't need, um, I'm blessed to be in a situation that I don't need financial assistance, um, et cetera. So a simple text message, message calling, you know, asking to do something normal, like grab food or whatever, that to me is so, so important. It's so easy. It takes a few seconds to send someone a text to check in to call um, those that makes a world of difference. Um, and that's so important to me. The other time for me is acknowledging scan time. So like earlier in the episode, we talked about how scan times are stressful. Um, and so having someone reach out, text, call, acknowledge that like, hey, I know today is is a lot because we keep harping on the fact that those scans, everything is in the balance. Our life as we know it could change with one scan. Treatment, side effects, prognosis, everything can change with a single scan. That's a huge precipice that we face, you know, every three, four, six, however many months. Um, even for early stagers that have follow-up scans, you stand on this cliff hoping that you don't fall off. And having someone tell you, I love you, I'm thinking about you, I care about you, or knowing that you did and then following up with, you know, let's go get dinner, let's distract you while you wait, like how did your scans go? That is such a easy, in my opinion, um, and so important, so meaningful um, way to support. But they're also acknowledging that they understand what I'm going through on those days. And that is the acknowledgement is so meaningful. I completely agree. It's like a breath of fresh air, knowing that there are just people there acknowledging your scan. Right. And I think another one that we've we've talked about in past episodes is, you know, people who are not lucky enough to be in a situation like Ren and I are, who might have um, different scenarios in life that maybe their treatment means that they don't have time to cook or they can't, or they can't clean their house or they can't do some day-to-day -day things, um, ways to help out rather than saying, what can I do? Because again, for a lot of us, it's really hard to ask for help or it makes us feel like we're a burden. And so it's one of those things that we've talked about in past episodes is rather than say, what can I do to help do something, you know, they need. 
And even if they are not in a, a bad place, doing it on a scan day, sending somebody dinner on a day that they had a scan or offering to take them to dinner or sending them a Uber Eats gift card or something like that, those gestures are are more helpful than I think you will ever understand unless you are living it too. Um, and then celebrating the wins. I mean, Ren and I have talked about this, that I'm sure there's compassion fatigue from friends and family that's like why are you still talking about this you're doing well or you're not doing well and this is scary for me and it's exhausting to have somebody keep talking about it it's our life and so trivial or not a win is a win is a win it's like that the sound bite on tiktok a win is a win a win is a win like <laughs> a i'll win take is a win. it mm-hmm. a win is a win um if a patient friend family member etc is celebrating something that you think is weird or you don't know what to say um don't Don't say anything (laughs) right I had um and I'll call it out because it's it is it is really it's upsetting and it's still something I'm working through um but when I posted my three-year uh cancerversary I posted a video about how I wasn't sure I was going to be here because I wasn't um and I made it and it was celebrated on the day that I was diagnosed and for those of you who don't understand that we don't ever get a date that we get to say hey we're cured like um this is great and so for early stage patients a lot of their cancerversary so to speak is the day that they were told that they're in remission or that there's they're cured well we won't ever get that. And so the date that never changes for us because we cycle through treatment. So it can't be the end of treatment because we will always be on something. The date that never changes is the date that we were told we had metastatic breast cancer. So that's the day that you celebrate your cancerversary. And so I had posted this video and the number of friends and coworkers um, and extended family that like reached out and was so happy and commented all the things that you thought that you would see um was so validating and it it even now thinking about it makes me um emotional but no one in my immediate family commented didn't say anything and I happened to ask one of my family members that day like you know did you see that post (laughs) like Mm. weird because people the fact had asked. that you had to ask well when people had asked me I had a co-worker say why aren't why isn't your um family commenting on it um and it's a weird scenario to be like I don't know because I can see on social media that they see it so I don't know I don't I don't know um hurtful nonetheless and so I asked this person why didn't you comment and they said because I didn't know what to say and I thought it was weird and that stung so bad. Like they thought it was the fact that they used the word weird, but then said it was weird to celebrate that day. They didn't understand. And that can be true. You can be a human who doesn't understand something, but, and this goes as a life rule, you not understanding something doesn't make it okay to label it negative, negatively as weird you didn't understand why I would celebrate the day I was diagnosed. So it was more that you needed to ask why so that I could explain it to you. But more than that, it was my unhealed side wanted to clap back so hard and say any number of the hundreds of comments from people who some of them don't even know me in real life that commented, I'm proud of you. Congrats. This is huge, et cetera. Like amazing. Celebrating with you. Copy and paste. Like this person is one of the closest people to me at that time in my life. And they didn't know what to comment on that. Um, Crazy to me. Still something that I I don't even know what to think. Lots of processing and therapy about that. But that was a game changer for me that it was like hurtful. Um, So celebrating wins, Mm -hmm. no matter how weird you think it is, to your point, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. We are posting it as our cancerversary because we are never going to be done with treatment. And every year that passes by is a huge fucking win for us every single year. And that deserves to be celebrated always. Yeah. 
Yeah. We are like out here standing in the face of the storm, you know, both middle fingers up. Yeah. Fighting for this. So yeah, Yeah. you know, a high five. And we fought hard and we are still fighting. That's the difference. We fought hard and we are still fighting and we are still kicking ass. Like just celebrate people's wins. The world is so hard without bringing people down in any regard. Just move on if you don't agree with it. Don't bring people down. Don't put that out there. It takes zero dollars to scroll by. It takes zero minutes to scroll by. Takes zero dollars to be nice. Like just, you know, it costs nothing. Yeah, I agree. And everything that you mentioned, you know, regarding like what you can do to help, I there's not many others except the very blatant of just like acknowledging the diagnosis. I struggle with that often. So it's not only just like acknowledging the scan or just like acknowledging like our cancerversary posts, but it's just like acknowledging the actual diagnosis for what it is. Like not walking and tiptoeing and like walking on eggshells and not pretending that it doesn't exist and that it's like all in the past because it's not all in the past. It's the present. I'm dealing with it currently. And sometimes I just want to feel like you understand and are acknowledging that I'm still going through this shit. It's like that validation almost. And so that for me is huge. It could be as simple as how was your last treatment? Or, hey, did you and your oncologist like talk about anything important during your last visit? It's just anything that acknowledges that I currently have metastatic breast cancer and that I'm going through it day on my day-to-day regularly would be the most meaningful and impactful thing for somebody to do for me. And I don't really think that's a lot to ask for. I just don't. I don't think so either. I think it's, People are busy and it it just is a matter of just taking time to try and acknowledge anybody who's struggling, not just us, right? We're not out here being like, devote all your time to your friends with cancer. It's anybody, you know, my, I have friends who are struggling with infertility or family right. issues or divorce or mental illness. And um, sometimes unless you know what it feels like to not get the support, you don't realize how important the support is. Even if that support yes. is a single text, it's like, hey, love you, thinking about you. Yes. Um, those, you know, a simple five-second text can change somebody's whole day, Girl, regardless yes. of what they're going through. Yep. It's so meaningful, just a simple little text like that. But it's like, in that moment, they were thinking of me, and that sometimes means the world. So let's, let's bring it back full circle. Um, We're going to conclude the episode. Let's bring it back. So for everyone on the outside looking in the initial diagnosis and chemo treatment seemed like the hardest part. And to be honest, like that's what we originally thought too. Our bodies, they were in fight mode. Initially, we weren't grasping, digesting all that was happening. But what people don't understand is that sometimes the hardest part for an NBC thriver is what follows the aftermath. It becomes the hardest part of all because recovery is a beast. It's just a lifelong battle, just as our diagnosis is. The diagnosis is too heavy of a burden to carry on our own. And unfortunately, that burden only ends when we are no longer here. We need support. It's so important. Regardless of how that support may look, we do need it. So check in on your loved ones. Don't judge how we are doing based off how we look, because that is never, ever a clear indicator. And again, I've said it like five times, but I'm praying that this episode has made that evident. So thank you guys for sticking it out and hearing what Kate and I have to say. Um, We are eternally grateful for this community. And as always, we love you guys very much. So thanks again. I agree with Ren. We are um, just incredibly grateful for this community. We love 
all of you and we feel the love that you give us and each other all the time. Um, we hope that this episode helps both patients, cancer patients, chronic illness patients, and people who are, you know, quote unquote normal um, to better ask for help, receive help, give help, all the things, um, and to to change perspectives. If anything else, just it's like a food for thought. Um, you don't know what you don't know. And I, one of my favorite, favorite quotes I think would be great to end on is Maya Angelou said that you do the best you can until you know better and then you do better. And that's how we grow as humans, that nobody's out here being purposely rude to people who are struggling. They just don't know better. But once you know better, you do better. And that makes you a good human. That's how we help each other and make our human experience better. I love that. And what a fantastic way to end the episode. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast, Living Our Breast Lives. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Living Our Breast Lives, where we will share podcast updates, special dates, educational resources, and of course, health updates for those following the community's MVC journeys. Have questions, comments, or anything else you would like answered on our podcast? Send us a message on Instagram. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And as always, choose kindness. Someone may look fine on the outside, but you never know who's actually struggling on the inside. Until next time, don't forget to live your best lives. God bless. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.